The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Um, I don't know how you guys spend the rest of your Sunday. You know, it's great we come to church and we rally together and honor God and celebrate uh, Him, but uh, the rest of your day, a lot of people have different routines or what they do. You know, some people watch football, some people go home and take a nap, uh, some people do barbecues. Uh, one thing we do is we have a, a family night with our family, and uh, we get together with our kids, and we rotate. Everyone gets their turn each week, uh, and we'll do it like a devotional time uh, together, and then we'll do, uh, somebody will get to pick what they want for dinner that night or their dessert, and then what kind of game they wanted to play, whether it's hide-and-seek or a board game or watch a movie, and we rotate and do these things just to make it fun and memorable. And uh, over the years, there's been a lot of things we've done, but one thing that we've done that we really enjoyed, uh, specifically when the kids are younger, um, is watch these nature shows. You know, any of you guys like nature shows? I mean, I got to tell you, the way they're making them nowadays is amazing. They're shooting them in the highest definition you can imagine, and it feels like you're right there in Africa with the animals. Like, I don't know how they get a camera in the middle of a you know, a lion fight or something, but, but it puts you right there with the animals. So we love that. We'd watch that with the kids and just appreciate God's creation. And all these animals are amazing. It's amazing to watch all these animals in high definition, but the greatest, the greatest for, uh, for me to watch anyway is, is the lions. You watch the lions, and the lions are, um, the lions are just the way they move, and, and they're so strong, and they're so powerful, and they're, they're so bold, Uh, They're so fearless. Uh, They work together. Uh, They work together in in this kind of synergy that they have, strategic working together, and they don't seem to be afraid of anything. And that is pretty amazing. Now, I don't know if you guys know it, but do you know that our Lord Jesus is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah? You guys realize that? The one we follow is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he too is bold. And he too is fearless. And he came to earth and he came against all kinds of oppositions and he took his stand and he did not back down and there was opposition against him. And this is the one we follow. We follow the lion of uh, the tribe of, of Judah. And he's not bold to attack. He is bold to speak up. He is bold to take a stand for righteousness. And that is the one we follow, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about boldness. Specifically, there is a battle for boldness. There is a battle for boldness in your life and in my life. There's a battle for boldness of believers in the times that we're living in right now. There is a clear battle uh, for boldness. The devil does not want you to be bold. The Spirit of God wants you to be bold. God says, I didn't give you a spirit of fear and timidity but I gave you power, love, and a sound mind. God is saying, I'm empowering you to speak up and to represent, but the devil would like to say, be quiet and sit down. I want to talk to you today about boldness. We're going to see a glaring story we're picking up from last week. If you have your Bibles, it's Matthew 26, where Peter and the apostles talked about how bold they were going to be, and yet we see that they caved in on this boldness issue. They caved into fear. They had this test in front of them, this trial, Boldness or fear, what's it going to be? Um, but, but lions, you know, when you think of lions, and I want to refer to Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah today, um, 
when you think of lions, let me ask you a question. Do, do lions ask for permission to roar? No, they don't ask for permission. They don't need permission to roar, do they? Lions don't need permission to roar. And guess what? You don't either. You don't need permission to roar. When, when something is about God's presence or God's ways or God's word or uh, when you see unrighteousness or you see any of the things, the Bible refers to you as an ambassador of Christ. Everyone say ambassador. Ambassador means you represent. We have ambassadors. Our country has ambassadors. And the ambassadors uh, serve at the privilege of the president. He picks whoever he wants or gets rid of whoever he wants. Ambassadors saying, I'm going to send you and you're going to represent us to that country. Got it? Yes, sir. What would you like me to do with that? This is what I would like you to do or not do. Yes, Mr. President. And then you go and you speak to that country on behalf of the president. You don't get to make up your own stuff. And you get to be the ambassador. You get to go to speak with other presidents and governments about this is where America is at on this issue. And you, you build bridges with them based on what you were sent and, and assigned to do. You and I are ambassadors of Jesus. You and I have been sanctioned by God Almighty through the power of the Holy Spirit to represent Jesus as ambassadors everywhere we go. This is important because this takes boldness. Uh, if, 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 fear, if fear rules us, we won't be ambassadors. We'll be quiet. We'll, like we've told our kids when they were little, zip it, lock it, and put it in the pocket. Uh, that's what will happen to us. The devil would love you to zip it, lock it, and put it in the pocket. But Jesus is saying, I did not give you that spirit. In fact, I gave you power and love and a sound mind to represent and to be ambassadors. So this is a glaring passage today. Uh, There is a spiritual battle to silence you. The devil would love to silence you. He's been trying to silence people for a long time. He would love to silence us today. And I believe it's imperative in this day and age that you and I as ambassadors represent Jesus boldly more than ever before. Uh, So it is time, if fear is in your life and fear has you held back or refraining from speaking up or has you shut down in quiet, uh, this message is for you because God wants to empower you. And we are going to pray at the end of our service for what the early church did, a spirit of of boldness to, to represent. So if you have your Bible, we're in Matthew 26. And I just want to bring us up to speed where we left off last week. Um, last week we saw that Peter and the disciples are having the Last Supper with Jesus. And Jesus said, um, guys, you guys are going to actually deny me tonight. You're, gonna, you're not going to be bold. Your, your fear is going to overcome you. Uh, and you're going you're to deny me tonight. And, and they said, no, we, we actually will never do that, Jesus. We will never deny you. We will be bold for you. We will never cower to fear, Jesus. That's what Peter said. And the Bible says all the rest of the disciples said the same thing. So you got 11 of them at the table right now at this point saying, Jesus, we will be bold for you for sure. We will never cower to fear and we will never abandon you. That'll never happen. And yet... That is exactly what happened, and we're going to see it culminate tonight in in Peter's life, where Jesus gets arrested, and everybody abandons, and no one is stepping up or speaking up, and fear is ruling them at this time. And we we talked about it last week through the lens of spiritual drift. How does spiritual drift happen in our lives? How does it happen that we, we love God and we're representing, but over time, 
we start to get more fearful and start to drift and we're not walking in any kind of level of boldness anymore. And we saw last week when, when people lose their boldness and when they drift, here's a few of the things from last week, just a quick recap. The first one is when we lose the priority of prayer. When we lose the priority of prayer, we begin to spiritually drift. The disciples, Jesus said, stay awake and pray with me so that you won't fall into temptation. And yet they fell asleep. And guess what they did? They fell into temptation. So when we pray, it empowers us. But this is what happened. They started to get spiritually sleepy because they weren't praying. And then uh, we saw from Peter last week, uh, Jesus gets arrested, but, but Peter wants to follow at a, at a distance. So Jesus, you're way down there and I'm way, way back here. And this is where we start to lose our boldness. This is also where we begin to drift, where we don't walk in with Jesus. We don't stay in step with the Holy Spirit. We begin to follow him at a distance. And like, oh, I believe, I believe in Jesus. I'm a follower. But Jesus is way down there somewhere, and I'm way back here. This is where the drift begins, and this is where we lose our boldness. And then it gets obvious, we saw last week, when you start to travel alone. Matthew's gospel says, Peter's following alone at a distance. And that's why God puts us in families so that we can encourage one another. If you look at all the one another's in the Bible, you would be amazed to love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, fan one another into flame. We're supposed to do this together, this, this walk of faith with Christ. We're supposed to do this together. And yet Peter is starting to be a lone wolf and he's following Jesus at a distance alone. And that's not going well for him, too. We're going to see how that turns out today. And then um, he finally got to the point, and this is where we pick up the story, where right now while we're reading this, Peter is actually with a bunch of Roman soldiers and people who hate Jesus, and he's hanging out with these guys. And he's actually warming himself by their fire. He's warming himself by the fire with these people who hate Jesus. And you're thinking, wow, how did... How did Peter get to this point? I'll never deny you, Jesus. I'll, I'm going to be bold for you. And, and, he, and, he's, and he's not praying, and he's getting spiritually sleepy, and he's following at a distance. He's traveling alone, and now he's warming himself by the enemy's fire. It's not a place we pictured to see Peter, and it's all because Peter was afraid. We are seeing in this passage that fear is ruling Peter instead of boldness ruling Peter. The Spirit of God wants to give us a spirit of boldness, uh, a, a boldness to represent and be ambassadors for Christ. And yet Peter is being ruled by fear. And he's believing. He's being like a puppet. The devil has him on strings because of fear. And he's reacting. Uh, everything he sees, he sees it through the lens of being fearful. And as a result, he is not representing Jesus at all. Uh, he's losing the battle for a boldness. And so... Uh, so let's pick this up where we left off last week, and we're going to pick this up in verse 59, and we're going to learn how to win the battle for boldness today, how to win the battle, because there is a battle. There's a battle in your life. Everywhere you go, on the job, go to the store, go to the gym, wherever you go, there's a battle for boldness. Will you represent or will you not represent? Are you fearful about what people think or what they might say? Does that rule you or does boldness rule you? And we're going to look at how it plays out today so we can win the battle of Boldness. So again, Jesus in the story was just arrested. The disciples all fled. And Peter is the only one who followed at a distance. He's outside uh, where the religious leaders are meeting, hanging out with the Roman soldiers, and he's warming himself, buddying up with those guys around the fire right now. So this is what it says in verse 59. 
the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. We do not need to hear any more witnesses. Look now, you have heard this blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit on him, spit on his face, and struck him with their fists, and others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you. Ouch, it's a painful passage, and this is the beginning of the pathway to the cross beginning right here. It's official. It's actually happening right now. This is a mock trial. They're having a trial at night with half of the people that need to be there. And they're trying to, they've been trying to condemn Jesus all along. They're trying to find anything on him that they can find. We've seen this mounting for three years in the Gospels of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the Pharisees and religious leaders trying to find something wrong with Jesus. They can't find anything wrong. Trying to find a false witness. They don't have one. And uh, this, this is what's going on right here. Their first question to Jesus, the first question... Jesus remained silent. He remained silent on the first question. If you remember with the Pharisees, uh, throughout the Gospels, religious leaders have come to Jesus and people have come to Jesus. And when people ask Jesus a question, Jesus always answers them. But when the religious leaders come to Jesus, they're not really asking a question for knowledge. They're usually coming because they're cynical and they're trying to get him busted. They're always trying to test Jesus and get him busted. And so in the Gospels, Jesus is always asking, answering sincere people. If you're sincere and you come to Jesus with a question, he's very sincere in his response. But if you're cynical and you're trying to uh, trap him, he knows that. And what he typically does with the Pharisees all through the Gospels is turns around and says, I'll answer your question if you answer this. And he asks them a question, and they don't know what to do with that answer. Because if they answer one way, that means... He's from God, and they, they answer this way, so they get trapped and they get stuck. But Jesus knows that, and he asks them a question to try to uh, expose their heart condition. And in this passage right here, they ask Jesus the first question, and uh, the first question, he remains silent. And I personally believe he remained silent for two reasons. Um, the first reason is um, they wouldn't understand his answer. If Jesus explained this, the first question was, Jesus made a reference to the temple and said, uh, this will be torn down and I'll build it in three days. And uh, they're thinking it means a literally brick and mortar physical temple. And Jesus was talking about his body, the temple of the spirit, will be taken down, put in a grave, destroyed for our sins, and in three days come back to life again. And in three days later, he's using the symbolism spiritually of him being the temple of God working on earth, the presence of God in him and showing everyone, the disciples will understand what this means in a few days, 
but the Pharisees would never understand what this means. So I don't think he, underst- he responds to this first question because they, they wouldn't understand the answer, first of all. And the second reason is Jesus is not being a lawyer trying to defend himself. Jesus is not trying to defend himself away from the cross. Jesus was born with a mission, and his mission was the cross. He knew that when he came. The Son of Man came to give his life for a ransom for many. He's been saying this for three years. He knows his life is culminating to this ultimate sacrifice. The reality is it's beginning tonight in the story. He just gets arrested. He gets locked up, and this is where the process begins. Jesus is not going to argue his way out of the cross. He's not going to defend his way out of the cross, and so he does not respond to that. And yet they turn around and ask him this second question, and they ask him this glaring question, which is the most important question uh, for everyone on the planet, really, to ask this question. I hope everyone on the planet asks this question, and I hope all of our Jewish friends ask this question about Jesus as well. Jesus, are you the Messiah, are you the Son of God? Glaring question right here, very important, because the answer to this is monumental. Uh, If he is, everything he says matters, and we need to hang our life on his words. And if he's not, then guess what? He was a nice philosopher, and and like other great teachers, we can put them all in one category altogether. But if he is, if he is the Messiah, if he is the Son of God, complete game changer to everything he says and promises and offers. So, Remember, at this time, when they asked Jesus this question, Jesus is bound. He's got his hands behind his back. His feet might be tied. He's sitting there, tied up in front of people who hate him. They've been waiting three years to capture him. They would never do it in broad daylight out of fear of the people. So they went and found him in a garden at night, catching him alone with spears and clubs, and they drag him by force, and they drag him to this situation in the middle of the night. This is, uh, th- th- Jesus was condemned from behind closed doors. It wasn't a public hearing. It wasn't open to everybody. It was a little covert, little side nighttime hearing. Off the grid, came up with their own processes. And that's what's going on with Jesus right here. So he is in front of people who hate him, that have been trying to get him for three years. And they're trying to bring false witnesses to accuse him. Jesus is in front of them. They're asking him a glaring question. He is tied up right now, and these people want to hurt him. And I would say if there was ever a time, if there ever was a time for Jesus to be compelled by fear, if there ever was a time, this would be it. If you were in front of people tied, and they just want to drill you, they want to crucify you, and they're waiting for one answer to come out of your mouth that they don't like, this would be the time for Jesus to be compelled with fear. But it's not. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he functions in total boldness on this glaring question in front of these people who hate him. Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? And Jesus said, you have said so. You just said it yourselves, is what Jesus is saying. You said it. You confessed it. It's true. You have said so. And they flip out over this answer. They flip out over this answer. There's no room to pray about it or to check the scriptures to see if Jesus fulfilled any of these things about Messiah. They just flip out, they tear their clothes, and they start to beat him and swing at him and even prophesy, which seems like he's blindfolded because they hit him and say, which one of us hit you? So Jesus is blindfolded and tied, and then they say, answer this question. That would be a very intimidating time. But Jesus is bold, and he speaks the truth in love. That's what he does. Um, 
How many of you guys know that Jesus came like a lamb, but he's coming back like a lion? You need to know that. He came like a lamb. The Bible says like a sheep before his shearers. Jesus was, he's like, I'm not going to argue my way out of this. But he's coming back like a lion to judge the living and the dead. Uh, we have a picture, I believe, of a, of a lion. Um, boldness to speak. Uh, again, lions don't ask for permission to roar. They do not ask for permission. You follow, as a Christ follower, you follow the lion of the tribe of Judah. I want to encourage you today, if you remember one thing, you don't need permission to roar either. You do not need permission to roar. God has given you permission to roar. You follow the lion of the tribe of Judah. You are an ambassador for Christ to represent, to speak on his behalf. If you see things that you know are fundamentally wrong, if it's evil, it's wrong, it's off, it's up to you to speak up. If not you, then who? You're an ambassador for Christ. We can't worry about, what, well, what about this? And what about this? We're not going to be like Peter. We're going to see Peter in a second. The devil was playing Peter. The devil had Peter on strings, and the strings were fear. False evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. The devil has him on these strings, and Peter's afraid, and Peter's doing everything the devil wants him to do out of fear. But you weren't given that spirit of fear. You were given a spirit of of boldness. And so we're going to see in this passage um, what that looks like. But um, Jesus speaks the truth in love. Truth in love. Would you say that with me? Truth in love. The Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. If you're a note taker today, I'd encourage you to write this first point down. That never be afraid of speaking the truth in love. Never be afraid of speaking the truth in love. Um, You might not be sure, like, should I say this? Should I not say that? I don't know if I should. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't. These are kind of the things we we struggle with sometimes when it comes time to, do I speak up or be silent? And it's good. Well, the the ladies are going through the, uh, the book of James right now, and it talks about taming the tongue of what we say and when we say it and how we say it. But that's talking about a tongue that lashes out and causes destruction. What about the kind of tongue that represents God and is an ambassador? When is it time for that tongue to speak? When is it a time for boldness to rule instead of fear? And I would suggest to you the Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. In fact, it commands us to speak the truth in love. So never be afraid of speaking the truth in love. Here's what you need to know about speaking the truth in love. God is on your side. God is on your side. And if God is for you, who can be against you? God is on your side. How many of you know God is love, right? And God is truth, amen? Right? God is love and God is truth. And you are called to represent the God of love and truth. And you are called to speak the truth in love. God is on your side when you speak the truth in love. And when we say things in love, people can't or should not get offensive. And if they are uh, offended, and if people are offended or a group is offended, or whatever it might be, it's not an offense at you. It's really offense at the God of truth and love. Does that make sense? Jesus said they were offended at stuff I said too. But we can't be ruled by fear. Oh no, what will they think? And I better not. And we can't live that way. We can't live that way. We're going to see these disciples who are being ruled by fear in the New Testament church completely flipped 180 degrees. We're going to see how the Spirit of God came upon them and gave them a boldness that flipped the world upside down when the Spirit of God gave them boldness. But right now we're seeing Peter in this battle of boldness, and he's losing the battle of boldness. 
and yet Jesus wins the battle of boldness. But God is calling us to, to boldness. According to Wikipedia, it's defined as the opposite of fearful, and it implies a willingness to get things done despite the risk, despite the risk. According to Webster's, it's being fearless, which comes from a place of confidence. It, it, it's, a, it's being fearless, but not because that's our personality or our style. It's not saying that. It's a fearless, but it comes from a place of confidence. And this is really important because in the Bible, it's not that we have a confidence in ourselves. We have a confidence in the one we represent, amen? We have a confidence in Jesus. We have a confidence in God Almighty. We have a confidence in who he is and who we are because of who he is, right? And we serve the lion of the tribe of Judah. So we have a confidence in the one we serve and the one we represent. And that's why we've been graced by him to be ambassadors and to speak on his behalf. We've been sanctioned by God. And this is important because there's a battle for boldness. It's a spiritual battle. And the devil does not want you to be bold. The devil wants to instill a spirit of fear in your life and in mine. And we can't let him win this battle for boldness, especially in the times we're living in. So here is a picture of Peter moving on to verse 69. And here is Peter, and he's losing the battle of boldness. And I hope we can learn uh, from his mistake right here and identify with what he's feeling and going through right now. Um, but this is what it says in verse 69. It says, uh, and this is while Jesus is inside <clears throat> being falsely accused and condemned and beaten. Peter is outside hanging out with people who hate him and warming himself by their fire. That's the scene right here. Verse 69, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. So here's a sequence for Peter. After not praying and after becoming spiritually lazy, which Jesus said you would be. He said, be prayerful and watchful so you don't fall into temptation. But after not praying and after becoming spiritually lazy and then after traveling alone and following at a distance and after warming himself by the enemy's fire, this sequence in Peter's life, um, he is now being asked this question of association. Everyone say association. Are you one of them? Are you one of them? Are you one of those? Are you one of those believers? Is that who you are? Are you, are you, are you a Christian? Is that who you are? Are you one of those followers of God? Are you, are you one of those uh, Jesus people? That's the question. It's an association question. And Peter is caving to fear on the question of association. And that's what's going on. Are you one of them? Are you a follower? Are you associate? Aren't you one of those people from Galilee along with him? Aren't you in that group, Peter? Isn't that who you are? And he goes, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. Ouch. Now, let me start there this morning because the closer I look at this, I think the more we can understand Peter. I, I, we see Peter do some great things. We see Peter do some really dumb things. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, hopefully we relate to being a Christ follower and our own natural disposition, our own flesh, our own struggles, our own issues. But, but, but Peter right here is caving, caving under peer pressure. 
Let me ask you this question to make this more relatable. On the job, on the job, wherever you work, whatever you do for a living, whether you're in the industry, whether you're in uh, whatever sector of work you do, whether if you're, if you're a full-time homemaker or you're a uh, homeschooler, do the other parents know or do the other uh, people on the job know or the people in the boardroom know or the people at the gym know? Uh, if they were to say, are you one of them? Are you one of those, one of those Christians? Are you one of those followers? Are you one of those things? I hope, I hope you would go, yes, I am. But if you wouldn't, you need to take this message to heart because Peter has fear of admitting his association. Are you seeing it? And this is shocking and it's alarming, but it's very real and it's right in front of us. Are you concerned about admitting your association? It's an association question. Are you one of them? Are you one of those Christians? You might have somebody, you know, uh, do something. Yeah, the problem is, is that, that the Christians, no, 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 no. And do we be quiet and put our head down? And you go, excuse me, I'm one of those. Or you go, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let them vent and steam and spew and malign and misappropriate. Or are you going to say, wait, wait a second, I'm, I'm actually one of those. Um, will you step in and acknowledge your association, first of all, because this is where Peter is striking out. This is where Peter is losing his, his battle for boldness, his association question. And here's another glaring fact about this. Peter is under this intense peer pressure right now of the people around him. They ask a question and he's flipping out. He is flipping out about these people around him. Now here's, here's what's even more glaring. Different from your workplace, your workplace is people that you see every day, you work with them every day, maybe you hang out, go bowling with them. I don't know what you guys do, catch a baseball game once in a while, or have a work uh, picnic or a Christmas party, but, but these are people you see every day, whether it's at the gym or at the store. You, they're in your life. You see them. That's one thing to have some struggle with peer pressure when you're around people every day. That's one thing. But guess what? These people, Peter's probably never going to see these people again. Peter's never hung out with these people before. Do you realize that? He's never hung out with them before, and he may never hang out with them again. And yet he's so concerned about what they might think about him He's actually denying association with a group of people that aren't even really his peers. Does that make sense? These aren't really his peers. Peers means your friends and people around you. These are not really his peers, and yet he is still driven by fear. These are strangers to him. Um, that would almost be like you and me at a baseball game, and someone go, anyone here a Christian? Now, you're never going to see those people in the stands around you. And if you go, nope, not me, that would be the same thing as Peter, rather than going... Yeah, in fact, turn it around. Who else here is a Christian? Anybody else? And somebody go, I am, I am, I am. If, if somebody calls people out, this is what happens. Um, but Peter is caving under the fear of, of uh, peer pressure. He is paralyzed by fear, even though, listen, he may never see these people ever again, which makes it even more dramatic. Peter, you're denying the association. And peer pressure is one thing. And we have to get over peer pressure. But these people you won't even ever see again. Why would you cave to peer pressure under people that aren't even your peers? Does, this seem, does that make sense, guys? Here's a second point this morning. And this is important for you to win the battle for boldness. Never care too much about what the wrong people think. And I'm going to qualify that. Never care too much about what the wrong people think. 
people that are not walking with God, people that don't know God's ways and don't know God's wisdom and don't know uh, God's call for you to be an ambassador, uh, people who are living in darkness and doing what they uh, do, uh, you don't have to be overly concerned to try to adapt your lifestyle and your words and everything to satisfy people living in darkness. Um, we were called out of the darkness into this glorious light. That's what scripture says about us, okay? We are the called out ones. The name of the church, ecclesia, similar to iglesia for those who speak Spanish, the ecclesia means the called out ones. We were called out of darkness into this glorious light. You don't have to adapt your language to satisfy and please people. Listen, to please people in darkness. We don't live to please people living in darkness. Jesus never did either. He didn't hang out with the drunkards and prostitutes and say, all right, let me do shots with you guys and roll the dice with you guys and let me, let me make you happy with me. He didn't do that. He said, I love you right where you're at and I don't judge you right where you're at, but come and follow me because this is the way of life. And some did and some didn't. But he didn't adapt his words to please them. And that's really, really important. When you and I care too much about what the wrong people think, and I'm talking about people that aren't in Christ and they're not in the light and they're stuck in their realm, we're sensitive to them, we care about them, we want to love them, but we don't, we don't conform our words to please them. Does that make sense? The Apostle Paul says, he talks about this exact issue, and he says, listen, I'm a bondservant of Christ, I serve Christ. And he goes, if I was concerned too much about people, if I cared more about what people think, me, think of me, I would be a servant of people instead of a servant of Christ. I, I want to care what God thinks of me, and I don't want to live my life concerned about what everybody thinks of me. Does that make sense? You can't really do both. We have to choose our master, and I think if we're in Christ, we already chose who our Lord and our master and our king is. We can't go, I just want people to be so happy with me, uh, even if they're in darkness. I just want them, I don't want to offend them, and I want them to like me, and I, and I don't want to say anything disruptive. Uh, we, we have to be careful about that, because you'll never win the battle of boldness if you're more concerned about uh, what the wrong people think, and that's what I mean about the wrong people. Um, it's not that we don't love them. It's not that we don't want to love them to, to the Lord. It's just we can't, we can't uh, change our lifestyle and our dialogue to please them because we will never win that fight. That's not what you were called to. Um, we need to be concerned about what God thinks, what God thinks, not what others think. We need to be concerned about what does the Word of God say about this? Because if I'm going to speak the truth in love, I can't go off of my opinion. I got to go, what, what is God already saying about this? Here's what he says. They're calling good evil and evil good, but God says this is good and that's evil. So I guess what I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with God's timeless wisdom on the matter and I'm going to say this is good and that's wrong because God says so. You don't have to like me for it. I'm not going to win a popularity contest, but that's not what I'm signing up for. But I got to speak the truth in love here. I got to be bold. And yes, I'm associated with the people of God. Yes, I am. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. And so are you. You are part of the fellowship of the unashamed. You have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. The decision has been made. You have stepped over the line. You are a disciple of his. Your past is redeemed. Your present makes sense. And your future is secure. And we're supposed to be through and done with low living, sight walking, and, and uh, dwarfed goals and colorless dreams because we came out of darkness and we're in this glorious light. We are people who speak the truth in love. We are people who are ambassadors representing the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's given us a spirit of boldness, not of fear and timidity. And this is important because unless you and I are willing to walk 
in the love and the power of God's endowment of grace in this way, we too will be like Peter and come under fear and just kind of lose this battle. God's calling you to be victorious in this area and we can't care too much about what the wrong people think. That's not what we're called to. You should care about what does God say? What does his word say? And also, what does the family of believers think about this? This is a nice way to balance it out. Uh, what, is, this, is this like biblical God? Am I doing the right thing? Am I in the spirit? What does the family of believers think of this? Am I with you and with your family on this? Uh, moving on in verse 71, we see this culminate more uh, Peter's fear as he's losing this battle of boldness. And we're pointing this out so you and I can win the battle of boldness. It moves on in verse 71 and says, Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people, There, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man, exclamation point. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. So first he's asked if he's associated. Are you one of them? Are you one of his followers? Are you one of those people? And he he denies the association. And now twice he's like, forget the association. Do you know Jesus? Do Do you know Jesus? Do you personally know Jesus? And Peter, out of fear, says, no, I don't even know the guy. I never saw him before. I never met him. I never heard him. I don't know what you're talking about. And, and not only that, guys, this is glaring, but in the Greek, he's actually cursing about it. You know, um, maybe you've caught yourself with peer pressure. You come out of a certain way of talking with your lingo or your language, and maybe your language is very loose, and maybe you're dropping bombs in your language and stuff like that, and you, you start walking with Jesus, and you clean up your language because you're being more Christ-like over time, but then you're hanging around with a bunch of cursing sailors or a bunch of truck drivers, and all of a sudden you catch your language going that way. That's what's going on here. Peter's warming himself by the enemy's fire, and he's trying to relate to them, and he thinks by maybe cursing that he's a little cooler with them, and he's denying Jesus and cursing up a storm while he's doing it, and it's like, Peter, 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 what happened to you? What happened to you? Last year, you were walking on water, Peter. You were walking on water, Peter. What happened to you? And he's losing the battle for boldness, and his faith is weaning. Third point this morning is this. This is what Jesus says about you, and he says about me, and he says it about Peter. If we confess Jesus before others, he will confess us before the angels in heaven. This is what Jesus says. If you confess me before others, I will confess you before my Father and the angels in heaven. This is in Luke's gospel. It's also in um, other gospels. But the point is that Luke 12, 8, I think we have that for the screen. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me. So I don't know if you if you feel or sense that publicly acknowledging Jesus is a matter of personality. Some people would say, well, it's not my style. I'm not that kind of Christian. I'm kind of this kind of Christian. I'm the kind of silent one. I don't say anything to anyone ever, but I try to be nice, and hopefully that will be uh, good enough. Jesus never just said, be nice and don't use words. The concept of being nice and not using words isn't God's idea. The Bible says to speak the truth in love. 
The Bible says to represent, to be an ambassador, ambassadors speak. Uh, it's not to just be silent and do nice things and not speak. It's to love others, love God, love others, but, but speak. And so uh, speaking on Jesus' behalf is key, and we can't be afraid of the association of the family of believers. The Bible talks about the end times, guys, getting so intense where people are going to be deniers. Are you associated? No, out of, out of fear, that some are going to be fearful and go, nope, nope, I'm not. And, uh, and, and the Bible talks about end times, and depending on your view of end times, the way it rolls out, and when the rapture comes, I believe the family of believers is raptured out before it gets to the point of wrath. But the point is, there's going to be difficulties ahead. And the church has never been exempt from difficulties, but we're going to see difficult times, and there's going to be a time where even food is going to be rationed to the point of, if you align with us, you get food, and if you don't, and so but believers will have this sense of fear. What do I do? Do I pick God Almighty? Do I represent the Lion of the tribe of Judah, or do I sell out and cower and do what Peter is doing right now? This is really important. If we confess Jesus before others, he will confess us before the angels in heaven. So at this point, Peter denies being a follower, and then he twice denies knowing Jesus himself. And then it it moves on in verse 74, and it concludes, immediately, immediately, a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Um, all four gospels, some gospels cover some stories, others, they don't all cover the same stories. They're not duplicating everything. But all four gospels cover the fact that the rooster crowed and Peter denied Jesus three times. And all four Gospels say that Peter wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. You know, there's a difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. They're not the same. Worldly sorrow is like, oops, sorry, got busted, sorry that happened. You know, like, caught me, sorry. Uh, and, and godly sorrow going, God, oh God. Forgive me, God, I messed up. Big difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Peter is broken here, and he's broken with worldly sorrow. Um, and there is a big difference. Now, I've been to Israel, and there's a site in Israel. Um, if you go to Israel, we're going to be doing a trip as a church to Israel. We're going to be working on that, so plan on joining in. Amen for that one. Uh, it's going to be, a, but it was a powerful moment. There's a place in Israel, and I think we have a picture for it. Um, and this is where Peter lost his battle for boldness. So we see right here in this picture, this is the servant girl coming up to Jesus, uh, coming up to Peter, excuse me, and asking Peter, do you know him? Yes or no? I think you do, and I think you know that you do. And Peter denies that he knows Jesus. Now, I want you to look at that picture right there, because that picture is quite revealing. Uh, What it says on the bottom right there, if you can read that, what it actually says is, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. You know Jesus? I don't know him. Exclamation point. I swear I don't know him. And that's what it says there. And as I sat there in Israel going to this location, I look at this picture and I'm like, Peter, how dare you? How could you do that? Jesus, you just had a meal with him about an hour earlier and you swore you wouldn't do this. Just an hour before this, Peter, you said you would. How could you do this to Jesus? Swear you don't know, swear you're not a believer and then swear you don't even, how could you do this? And as I sat there looking at this statue, a deep conviction came over me. And as I sat there looking at Peter, 
I had to reflect and go, you know, really, honestly, I take that back, Peter, because in, in many ways, I'm no different than Peter. I may not have denied him the same way that he has, but there has been certainly times in my life where I should have stepped up and spoke up, and I didn't. There were times that I could have taken a stand, and I didn't. There's times that I too have lost the battle for boldness, just like Peter did. And as I sat there looking at that statue, it was one of the most powerful places in my journey over there. I too began to weep like Peter did. Because I'm like, Lord, I've lost the same battle. And there was times I could have represented you. No, I didn't flat out deny, but, but I, I, I didn't stand for you. And I know I should have. And your spirit was telling me to. And I didn't do it. And God, I struck out too. And I, I did the same thing he did, God. And I'm like, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. For, for denying the ownership or not stepping into the boldness that you called me to step into. And I don't know if there's enough honesty in the room to say maybe some of us in here have done the same thing. Maybe some of us in this room have, could have taken a stand, should have taken a stand, should have represented, but instead we zipped it, locked it, and put it in the pocket. We stepped back and we didn't say a thing. We didn't, the deeds of darkness are glaring. No, we're not going to say anything about that. An attack, is anybody a believer? No. Nope. That's not popular. I won't do that. Did we step away or did we step in? Because if not, guys, we're kind of in this boat right here. And maybe we can relate. Now, here's the beauty. Here's the beauty. Jesus is in the forgiveness business, number one. And Jesus is in the restoration business, number two. Those are both really good news. Because what we see after this, in fact, this would be great if the worship team comes up. What, what we see after this is Pentecost comes. 40 days later, 50 days later from here, Pentecost comes. And the apostles are together in a room, not just the apostles, there's 120 men and women in a room praying. And guess what? They're a little afraid. Their Messiah was just killed 50 days from now. In fact, when this story right here, Jesus is crucified the next day. He's crucified the next day. But 50 days later, the disciples are thinking, oh, they came after him. They might come after us too. There's 120 men and women in an upper room praying, going, God, please, please, please. And Jesus said, I want you to stay in that room and I want you to pray. I want you to pray until the Spirit of God comes upon you. And when he does, listen, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you will be given boldness. Everyone say boldness. The purpose of Pentecost was not signs and wonders. The purpose of Pentecost was boldness. Signs and wonders may accompany and follow. That's, that's, that's supplemental to the main issue. The main issue is on the day of Pentecost, you will receive boldness. Don't go anywhere trying to tell anybody or any nation about me because you don't have the boldness yet. But on Pentecost, God's going to flip a switch. He's going to light a fire. He's going to put an endowment of his grace. The, the Bible, uh, I, I think it's Ezekiel, talks about the feeling of fire shut up inside of his bones. Fire, literally fire inside of his bones. The Pentecost is God putting a fire in your bones, fire in your life, a fire to represent, a fire to be an ambassador, a fire to speak up when it's not popular, a fire to represent the lion of the tribe of Judah that you didn't have before, but it's an endowment of God's grace. And that's what God did on the day of Pentecost to 120 men and women who went into this time of prayer, a little fearful, to coming out, kicking the balcony doors open and saying, men and women of Israel, listen up, we got something to tell you. 
and they stepped into this new level of testifying and sharing faith that was unprecedented, and people were like, what just happened? Filling of the Holy Spirit happened, and the boldness was evident to all. Here's our last point this morning. Uh, Prayer in private results in boldness in public. Prayer in private results in boldness in, in in public, and that's really key in your life and in my life. Prayer, when we press together like these guys going, God, I am a little fearful and it is getting rough and this with social media or with, maybe with the news and the way the, uh, everything is going and uh, maybe uh, levels of persecution, nothing like the early church, but we feel it's persecution because we feel an opposition and, and these things are happening. What do we do, God? Do we, do we remain silent or not? I think God would say, you pray and you did what the early church did. You pray and you press in and you ask me for boldness, and I will give you boldness. Because God's been given boldness for 2,000 years. For those who are willing to say, God, fill me up. Empower me, God. I want to represent, but I don't have the power. I don't have the strength, God. And like Peter, I have shrunk back. And like Peter, I've, I, I, I've cowered. I should have spoken up, and I didn't. Maybe no one on the job knows I am a Christian. And if that's you, you're like, wow, okay, God, that's got to change. Because you want me to represent, not obnoxiously, but lovingly. You are on the side of truth. You have life. You have the answers to the eternal questions. You have a a future that will never fade or perish or spoil or go away, but others don't. You are on the side of the lion of the tribe of Judah. And listen, if you're walking through the jungle, there's a lot of crazy animals out there. But when you're walking behind the king, listen, when you're walking behind the king, you don't have anything to worry about. You are walking behind the king through that jungle. You got the lion of the tribe of Judah in front of you You don't have to fear anything. If God is for you, who can be against you? You're on the side of truth. You're on the side of love. That's where God placed you. He's taken you out of darkness into this glorious light. That's where he's placed you. Who are we to be in a place behind the Lion of Judah, but being played by the devil on strings of false evidence appearing real? No, sir. We represent the king. If God is for us, who can be? We're going to follow the Lion of Judah. And we're going to love people into his presence. We will testify. We will speak the truth in love. And, and we are not going to cower uh, to, the, to the appeals of the enemy who would love us to be paralyzed by fear. Guys, it's a time now more than ever. We're living in times. Would you, would you join me in prayer? We're going to stand, please, together. And we're going to ask God to empower us with a capacity uh, to, to walk in his boldness uh, this morning. And if that's you, just, just raise your hands to heaven right now. Uh, just as an open, open palm, like, God, I just want to empty. Uh, Lord, like Peter, uh, many of us, God, have failed to represent you as we should have. Uh, Lord, maybe people don't know we're a Christ follower on the workplace. Maybe they don't even know of our association. Uh, you put us into this family, and maybe we're trying to be so covert and secret. And, and Lord, that's afraid, that's a fear of association. And I pray that first level, if there's any fear of association this morning, that we surrender that to you. And like Peter saying, sorry, Lord, I messed up on that one. I messed up on that one, God. I am associated. I I am part of the family of believers, and you're the one who put me in this. And and Lord, I I, want to walk in a boldness to who you made me, and you transform me. And I am a follower. Yes, I'm one of the followers. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm one of those Jesus people. Yes, I believe in the Bible. Yes, I am one of those. Lord, let it start there. And Lord, even more importantly, let us step to the next level. Do you know Jesus? And Lord, like even people like Kanye West, who've said, you know, I'm not, I'm not only just going to say I'm associated, 
I'm going to tell the whole world Jesus is king. And people are going to go, don't do that. You're going to ruin your career. He's like, I don't care what it does. Jesus is king. I'm going to tell everybody Jesus is king because he is the king. He's the king whether you believe it or not. He's the king whether you like it or not. He's the king whether he's shown you or not. He's the king. He's the king. He's the king. And I will testify that he is the king. That's the truth. You don't have to like it. He's the king. He's going to show you one day because every knee is going to bow and tongue confess because when you stand before him, just like standing before a lion and hearing the roar, you'll go, oh yeah, I hear it loud and clear. There's no doubting. Jesus is the king, but he's trying to love people into his kingdom. He came as a lamb. He's coming back like a lion. We're on the side of truth. We're on the side of love. We have nothing to fear but fear himself, and you did not give us that spirit. So God, I just pray today for a level of boldness as we come before you with outstretched arms, Mighty God, like the early church where you gave a spirit of boldness, God, let us know we follow the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's who we follow. That's who we represent. That's who we emulate. So God, help us to speak the truth in love. Show us when, show us where. Let us own our association, our God-given association, and let us always own our personal intimate relationship with you the lover of our soul, the king of all kings, the Lord of lords, the prince of peace, the first and the last, the holy one, the A to the Z, the alpha, the omega, that's you, God. You're all of those things. The way, the truth, the life, you're the door, you're the true vine, you're the living water, you're all these things, Elohim, Adonai, El Shaddai. That's who you are, and we associate with you, God. Far be it from us to ever dismiss our intimate connection with you because of what you did. So, Lord, that's our heart today. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.